when I was in high school, I worked at Wendy's. My coworker was about 28 years old at the time. He was married with children, and the place that we worked did not offer health insurance. My coworker suffered a pretty significant tooth infection and could not afford to get um, to get it fixed. Since we had no health insurance, myself and some coworkers got together and raised enough money for my coworker to have the procedure that he needed. I believe that this California regulation would bring health insurance and other benefits to a lot of fast food workers in California so that they won't have to suffer similar fate. This week, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law a new measure that could revolutionize the fast food industry in his state and beyond. AB 257 will create a state council to set wages and working conditions for fast food employees. Their minimum wage could go up to $22 an hour next year. It's an industry that has historically suffered from poor pay, harassment, and a lack of benefits. We'll note now that we reached out to some of the fast food companies this law would impact, including McDonald's, KFC, Chick-fil-A, Wendy's, and In-N-Out Burger. We also reached out to the National Restaurant Association and the International Franchise Association. We didn't hear back from most, but did receive a statement from Carl's Jr. that we'll read later. In a moment, we break down what's in the bill and take a closer look at the current state of the fast food industry. What could this new law mean for the industry's future and for the rights of low-wage workers? I'm Jen White, joining you from KPCC in Pasadena, California. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. You can be part of future conversations. Download the 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a message. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Introducing Group Sessions, a new BetterHelp therapy offering currently in pilot testing. Therapist Joy Bergheimer shares how finding a community of people with shared experiences can help clients become more comfortable with therapy. For quite some time, we have not normalized mental wellness, and a lot of our families would shame you when you would say that you were feeling depressed or you're feeling overwhelmed. If you have been told over and over again that, Basically, you have a character flaw. If you're seeking therapy, that's going to be a reason that people don't want to go seek therapy. But actually being in group with other people and hearing them say a story that feels like it came right out of your book is huge. Like, oh, my gosh, this is not abnormal. Right. And this person is further along in their journey than me. So now I know that therapy is something that can shift things for me. So really seeing their peers has been a huge shift for people accepting therapy for themselves. To get 10% off your first month of online therapy, go to BetterHelp.com slash 1A. Let's get into the conversation by welcoming our first guest. Joining me from San Francisco is Ken Jacobs. He's the chair of the Center for Labor Research and Education at the University of California, Berkeley. Ken, thanks for joining us. Let's start by discussing what this law will actually do. Sure. The Fast Recovery Act, as the bill is known, provides a way for the state's fast food workers to have a voice in the development and implementation of labor standards in their industry. So what it does is creates a fast food sector council made up of workers, employers, and government representatives that's charged with establishing sector-wide standards related to wages, health and safety, and training. And the, the council will be created once 10,000 fast food workers have uh, signed a petition saying that they want a council, and then it will. it's required to meet every six months. It'll hold hearings. 
bring in a place where fast food workers will can, can organize around and come out and talk about what's happening on the job. And then it will create standards uh, that relate in each of these areas. I want to bring a new voice into the conversation. Sandro Flores is a Carl's Jr. employee in Los Angeles. He's also a leader in Fight for 15, which is part of SEIU. That's the Service Employees International Union. Sandro, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you so much for having me over. So you've worked in the fast food industry for six years. You've been in your current position at Carl's Jr. for a year. What's your experience been like? Honestly, my experience has been a very um, disheartening disheartening experience where I had to experience and witnesses multiple horrors that honestly have expanded throughout the six years that I have been in the fast food industry where it repeats itself over and over across multiple locations. Right now, I'm a car junior and I face the same type of problems or horrors, if you want to call it where you can see clearly where you have people working and places where they're super hot. Recently, we had this heat wave. And I imagine working inside of a restaurant, working in front of a grill, and not having enough people because you're understaffed, having to switch between washing cold dishes and then going to the grill. You can imagine the damage that this has in the fingers of people. Now, due to not having enough people as well, you're sometimes standing for hours and hours without having a break, which falls into part of the wage theft. Now, in addition to the loss of the money, you have a severe impact in the cardiovascular system of the individuals like myself, who are we're standing for long periods of time, resulting in some veins popping out. Now, in my case, I never thought that in California I would suffer things like sexual sexual harassment or even physical abuse due to my um due to my sexual orientation. So yeah, you know, it's been a very um crazy. So you, you you've been working in the fast food industry over the course of the pandemic. Did you notice conditions changing during that time? Honestly, during the pandemic it was a really, a really opening moment, uh, it opened eyes of many workers like myself. Cause we were made to believe that we were essential workers, that we were needed to work, we were needed for society to function. And we were not even offered with the right protection. And in addition, it, it just felt like we were disposable workers. You, so many workers died due to the pandemic. So many workers went to their houses and infected their families. And in turn, many of their relatives died or some, so many ended up handicapped due to the pandemic and now are suffering to try to stay alive and no one wants to pay for that. When you've shared with your management the experiences you're having, what kind of support have you received? The support that I received was pretty much a laugh in my face. And then I was told that we can try to work it out, but it didn't, it, management didn't do much about it. It escalated all the way to physical abuse to the point that an individual tried uh, throwing a burger at my face. When I went to management again, they decided to move me to two locations that were further from my from my work from my house. And when I told them, you know, what? I feel like you're punishing me. Why don't Why don't you get rid of the individual who's being problematic? They told me nobody nobody's asking you to move. When I when I exercised my right of assembly and to 
self-advocate for myself, I was reprimanded by giving by having only two hours a week. This is the sixth week that I have only been working two hours a week. That's how Carl Jr. has supported me. We should note we reached out to Carl's Jr. to offer them an opportunity to respond to Sandro's complaint. They wrote back, quote, Carl's Jr. has both company-owned and independently owned and operated franchise locations and is over 95% franchised domestically. We have no record that the referenced individual is employed at a company-owned restaurant, end quote. To be clear, the restaurant you're employed by, is it company-owned or is it a franchisee? It's a franchise. And so what's your response to the company saying, this is a franchisee, so this is essentially, you know, out of our hands? If you're telling me that it's a franchisee and it's a franchisee that is using your logo, your face, and that franchisee had the audacity to go on record as well and saying that they dealt with my complaint, how are you telling me that if this is a franchisee that you're aware of, how is it not, there's no record of this incident? How you didn't have at least the respect to call that franchisee and ask, is this an issue that we should be worrying? How is Cars Jr. so willing to turn a blind eye when you have seen that the whole state is standing with the workers? You, you currently make $15 an hour, which is the minimum wage in California. How are you living on that wage? Is it enough for you? And and if you are supporting a family as well? It's not enough. At this point, all my credit cards are at the limit. I am falling behind in payments. In my house, I owe around $3,000 of electricity. I keep putting extensions. I keep putting ways to fix it. The gas is all over the limit. The opposition has the audacity to throw in our face that if you increase our wage, it's going to increase the prices. But I ask everyone, isn't it inflation doing that already? Isn't it inflation killing us all slowly? And I ask you, who is inflation affecting the most? It's affecting us, the workers. Now, you ask me, do I feel that the $15 per hour is enough to live? No, it's not a livable wage. I feel like I'm struggling by just to eat basic things. Not to sound like a cliche, but as a Mexican, we're made fun that we eat beans, but literally I've been eating beans for the past, for the past month. If it's not beans with uh, by themselves, if it's not refried, if it's not with tortillas, if, believe me, this is the minimum that we can afford in the house. You never thought you'd be speaking out about your working conditions. You were content just to have a job, but what, what changed for you? No, ma'am. I was not content. Mm-hmm. It's not content. It's the necessity. The necessity that if you know that you're speaking, you go outside your routine, that you don't have the security to not end up homeless like many of my peers have. I myself decided that it, it was enough. Enough because I, when I got my degree in microbiology, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to have some education and that I had that privilege. And with that privilege came awareness. And with that awareness, I realized the momentous and the mo- the amount of atrocities that they're done to the individuals. And the most sad part is that the ignorance is what get, what get, what get us. Why? Because sometimes we don't understand the damage, the damage that these jobs have to our physical well-being, 
our physical and mental well-being. We spend most of our days in these environments where most of the time we are pressured and we are working in extreme conditions, extreme conditions like heat, extreme conditions where you have managers telling you, move your hands faster when it's only you and the manager in the store. Governor Gavin Newsom signed AB 257 into law yesterday. How are you feeling about that news? It feels like a fresh a fresh air, a fresh air that finally we can breathe a little bit more in peace. Finally, we can we feel that we're being listened, that all, all voices and sacrifice are giving us a fruit, a fruit that finally we will have a voice at the table. That is the first step in a long road, but it's a, lo- it's a road that has finally opened. You said you have a degree in, in microbiology? Yes, from the University of Costelli. So what does the path ahead look like for you? Do you think you're going to stay working in fast food? You know what? I was so ready to pursue my career and move on. But as a human being, I don't want to get old and have regrets. So I think that I can do a little sacrifice at least over two years to make sure that this bill passed and that it's well cemented. And I feel that my voice has so much power right now to help not only myself, but half a million workers that I know personally. I think that the sacrifice is worth it because in the future, when I have a child, I know that I will not be rich. And I know that my child will have to pass through the same things. And I wouldn't be able to sleep at night knowing that he will. So with that in mind, my sacrifice is worth it. Sandro Flores is an employee at Carl's Jr. in Los Angeles. He's also a leader in Fight for 15, which is part of SEIU. That's the Service Employees International Union. Sandro, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me over and allowing our voices to be heard. Still with us is Ken Jacobs. He's the chair of the Center for Labor Research and Education at the University of California, Berkeley. How does Sandro's story square with what you've seen in your research? It squares entirely with what we've seen in our research, both in terms of the conditions under which fast food workers live. We know more than a third or 36% are enrolled in Medicaid. Uh, Over half are in families that uh, are rent burden, um, spending more than a third of their income on on rent. Uh, That is really fits the the, the picture that we see with with fast food workers. They're extremely difficult to get by uh, on the wages that they currently earn. And the stories he was telling about the pandemic also fit completely with our research. Uh, some work by my colleagues at UCLA found that uh, fast, many fast food workers had to purchase their own masks or gloves to protect themselves during the pandemic. People were, of course, in, in very close proximity because there's little room to to work to to separate from other workers in the fast food restaurant. When workers uh, tried to make sure that customers were wearing masks, the, they were met with uh, very hostile responses, and and uh, violence was fairly common. Uh, a high share of fast food workers have been injured on the job. I mean, these are the kinds of of, of stories that really bear out uh, well in in the data and in in all of the 
fast food in the fast food worker surveys. The other thing that that we heard quite a bit from this in the surveys was that employers uh, did not always tell workers when they were exposed, and uh, at least about half at some point found out about positive positive cases among their coworkers. And fast food workers take public transportation, especially in, in Los Angeles, uh, and live in larger households, uh, often multi-generational households with parents or grandparents who might uh, have, uh, have health problems. And so the danger of, of transmitting that back into the household was high. So all of the concerns about COVID really did push forward this effort by fast food workers and a recognition how important it was for them to organize and to have some kind of voice on the job. Pat emails, it's my understanding that the jobs at fast food restaurants were never intended to be full-time jobs. They were for young kids in school and were part-time positions. Ken, there's this perception that fast food workers are mostly high school students, or at least were supposed to be high school students. Has that changed over time? And who primarily makes up the fast food workforce today? Fast food workers is are predominantly workers over the age of 18. Uh, the, the share of high school workers or teenage workers is is pretty small in the fast food industry in California. Uh, they are younger than workers. So it's about yeah, 16% teenagers. They are younger than workers overall, but they are young adults. They generally provide an important part of their families income. Workers are surviving on this income. And they are like 80% workers of color in California, uh, mostly Latino and mostly female. About two thirds of the workers are women. So your typical California worker is a a, uh, Latino woman uh, in her 20s. But but this idea that this workforce was supposed to be made up of teenagers. Like this is your first little part-time job where you get some pocket money. Did the perception of who these jobs were for and, and who was filling this, these jobs, has that changed over, over the years? Well, I think that that was true in some parts of the country at some times, but what we've seen in low-wage work overall is the low-wage workforce has gotten older over time. That is a uh, a much smaller share of low-wage workers are teenagers. Most low-wage workers are adults. We also see that uh, low-wage workers do account for an important part of their family income, and a number of people either live on their own, uh, some are have children and are supporting children on on that income. Yeah, the, the the stereotype of a low-wage worker being a teenager living at home with their parents and having, uh, yeah, pen money really does not fit the profile of low-wage workers today. The other thing that that we find, and and this came out a little bit with, with Santos as well, is that a surprisingly high share of low-wage workers also have at least some college education. Uh, so this isn't all... The, the idea that this is teenagers in going in, in high school really does not fit the profile of low-wage workers and hasn't for quite a while. We heard Carl's Jr., the corporation, essentially defer to the franchise store regarding Sandro's complaint. Who's responsible for what in a situation like this? 
Well, legally, it is the franchisee, the franchise owner that is responsible for health and safety and wage an hour. But we have a system set up where the, the franchise owner has very little economic power. And in order to make a profit, where they tend to squeeze is on labor and on health and safety. And so raising, creating a sector council that can really, fast food council that can really look at these issues and come up with industry specific solutions is gonna help raise that floor and reduce those violations. Well, last week, McDonald's president Joe Erlinger published an open letter in response to the California labor bill. We reached out to the company but did not get a response. The open letter can be found on their website. And here's part of what it says. California's approach targets some workplaces and not others. It imposes higher costs on one type of restaurant while sparing another. That's true even if those two restaurants have the same revenues and the same number of employees. Let me explain how. If you're a small business owner running two restaurants that are part of a national chain like McDonald's, you can be targeted by the bill. But if you own 20 restaurants that are not part of a large chain, the bill does not apply to you. For unexplainable reasons, brands with fewer than 100 locations are excluded. Well, we'll get into the details of that statement after the break. And remember to connect with us and let us know what you think. You can find us at 1A on Twitter. Now let's get back to our conversation about the future of the fast food industry and how a new California law could help shape it. Ken, we heard part of that response from Joe Erlinger, who's McDonald's president, saying this law targets certain restaurants but not others. What kinds of restaurants could California's law affect? Well, this law does apply to chains with at least 100 or more stores. Now, I had to smile a little hearing that because originally that threshold was much lower and it was raised after the uh, business community fought to increase it. So had they wanted a lower threshold, uh, they probably could have gotten one. But the, the big difference between those large chains and your typical you know, and smaller family restaurants or, or smaller restaurants is the chains are extraordinarily profitable. They they are making, and, and those profits went up all through the pandemic. So their ability to put in more money, to, to pay more to workers is really there. And they also have higher rates of, they have high rates of wage theft violation. They have high rates of injury on the job. They have a whole series of issues that need to be addressed. And so the, the, the council is really geared towards that franchise situation because it creates specific kinds of problems. Rodney asks, why is there a separate legislation for fast food regarding minimum wage? Shouldn't it be for all industries across the board, no matter where you work, everyone needs safety and benefits? Uh, Ken, your response? So we do have a $15 minimum wage in California, about go up to $15.50 in January. There's discussion of raising the state minimum wage to $18 an hour. But the idea of having these sector councils to raise raise wages in specific industries isn't new. We, We actually have local minimum wage laws in the state that create higher wages for hotel workers in certain areas, Workers, uh, workers who work in our airports. And what the, the, the council in fast food does is it enables to the, them, to, it brings in employers, it bring, brings in workers 
to be able to come up with a set of rules that fit the conditions in that industry and address issues that are specific to that industry. And we've seen that work well with the hotels where they'll have a, they have a higher rate if workers have to clean more than a certain number of square feet in a hotel. So that's a health and safety issue. They put in those laws the having a panic button in, in case uh, workers are experiencing uh, sexual harassment or, or violence from uh, somebody in the hotel. So the, the point here is to be able to create rules that really address the conditions in that industry. And to be clear, that $15 minimum wage is for all workers, not just fast food workers in California, correct? That is correct. We have $15 minimum wage for all workers. And then in a number, most of our big cities in California have a higher minimum wage that covers all workers. We also got this question from Michael who asks, will the additional costs of these regulations be passed on to consumers? So we've done a lot of research. My colleagues have done a lot of research on what happens to restaurant prices when minimum wages go up because restaurants employ have a high number of low wage workers and labor costs are a higher share of operating costs. So that's generally where you see it. And we do find that costs are passed on to workers when wages go up, but overall those costs are pretty small. And so if wages go up to $22 an hour, we'd expect to see a small increase in, in fast food restaurant prices on the order of, of around five to 6%. We also got this email from Frank who says, this law is just an example of government overreach. There are hundreds of federal and state laws that touch on workers' pay, safety, working conditions, etc. If there truly is something lacking, then why not amend those laws instead of creating a whole new regulatory structure for one particular industry? As far as the council goes, it sounds like the state is forcing a form of unionization that the workers have not chosen through organizing. Uh, Ken, what do you make of that? Well, the... The council won't be triggered unless 10,000 workers sign on and workers will have the opportunity to come out to the hearings and, and put out their case for what they think needs to happen in their industry. It isn't unionization in the sense that uh, workers can join the, the fast food organization. They are not required to join the, the fast food organization, uh, nor is anyone required to join a union for that matter. Um, but it's a, it, this is an industry where our national laws make unionization very difficult. And what this does is creates a process where workers can have voice on the job, where workers can have input into what the rules are that governs their industry and uh, can raise their standards. Well, ultimately, we do need changes in our labor law in the United States to make it easier for workers to join a union. And then, and when we have more workers in unions, that brings pay up and benefits up for everybody. Um, so this is a way to address labor standards, specifically in an industry, in an industry where our current laws make it very hard for workers to join a union. I want to go back to our voicemail box. Here's a message we got from Sandy. Many, many years ago, one of my first jobs was uh, in fast food. And it's a starting job wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It's not a career. You can't get out of a starting job. That's on you. Improve yourself or work to get yourself in a better situation where you can be. Fast food, dishwasher, stuff like that. 
They're not career jobs. Sandy, thanks for that message. Ken, what's your response to Sandy's comment that these kinds of jobs aren't aren't careers and therefore shouldn't be treated like careers? I think that's a reflects a misunderstanding of how what low wage jobs are in the United States and and how many workers have low wage jobs in this country. And I think there are people, uh, some people have gone through that experience where they had worked in fast food when they were younger. But um, for many fast food workers, that is the job that they, that is available at this time for them. And they need that, the income from that job to survive and to support their family. And so the idea that we should just designate some jobs as, as not paying enough for people to get by so that they'll leave and go on to something else later, I think just doesn't reflect the conditions in our current economy. What role do consumers have to play here? Well, I think it's consumers can and, and weigh in uh, when the council uh, is, is created around their concerns in, in the industry. And they, it's also important that consumers pay attention to what's happening uh, in in these indus- in these industries, and they also can put pressure on the companies to say, "Hey, we really care about what happens with workers, and we want to make sure that people have decent uh, wages and working conditions." But ultimately, what's important here is that we have the legal structures in place, and this council is a step towards doing that. That's Ken Jacobs. He's the chair of the Center for Labor Research and Education at the University of California, Berkeley. Ken, thanks for joining us today. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame with help from Chris Remington. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.